Hello, everyone. Welcome into Debate Night. We are back yet again. We got Brody joining us from Waco, Silas behind the mixing board over there, and I'm oh. in the uh, the the old typical, well, not typical, temporary is the word I was looking for, studio space yet again, chilling on a couch in front of a backdrop. But Brody, how's how's Waco treating you so far? You've been down there for a little bit. And you, it's cold. Uh, it's cold down it's there. It's cold. What, what's I don't cold? know what's going on. What, what are we talking about cold? Like we're talking uh, 50s? 40, 40. 40 and windy. 40 was the high today? And windy? I think it got maybe up to like, I think it maybe got up to like 44. Is that what the tournament weather is going to be like this weekend? So the tournament looks like it's going to be, like Friday looks like it potentially has chances of being just an absolute awful day. High of 42. High of 42. Oh, no. Got that Lynchburg weather, man. You took it with you. Consistent. Consistent winds from twenty to thirty mile per hours with gusts that are higher. Oh my word! So, I think I think Friday we're looking at an absolute survival day. Yeah. Um, it gets better. It gets better after that. It'll be sunny and fifty-five on Saturday, and sunny and sixty-five on Sunday with the winds. Uh, Sunday it looks like it might be pretty windy too, fifteen to twenty-five. Um, so Saturday looks like it's probably going to be the best day for scoring with the winds down five to ten. Um, That's but why. yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's it, Texas kind of coming out of the winter. You you never know what to expect. It is it is something that I didn't really have on the docket of something that I want to talk about, but uh, something as far as like looking into the schedule of like when tournaments are happening and stuff. Yeah. It, it might not be the worst thing to look into that. And again, I think a lot of it maybe has to come down to, you know, money and, uh, I actually don't know what else, but not, maybe there's not enough good courses in Florida to be able to start the tour in Florida. I, I heard a rumor that we, that might be a plan in the future to kind of go Florida, then midwest then west coast then northern midwest then upper northeast kind of make like a u-shape i don't know if that's true i don't know i don't really know what you were just talking about but uh like go across the the bottom of the united states and then go up the west coast and then come across the top of the united states and then go down the east oh yes yes okay yes 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 like make it a big like you you like that direction yes that's the rumor i I heard i don't know when that would happen or if that's even a true plan but that's, I think, how you get Florida involved in the tour early. Yeah, because I think you just, you know, again, like we're not we're not in a situation right now where we 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 have massive amounts of spectators. Yeah, but even even for the video guys too that are out there having to film and stuff, like if we can get it to where it's like decently comfortable temperatures and weather, I think that's ideal for all parties involved. So. Well, yeah. um, if we can push, you know, if there's a way of pushing the Texas swing back to like April Man. or even late April and, and have it flood over to uh, flood over into June or something. Is it just too far uh, north in Texas? May? Like, uh, it, it, what Texas, is? like the for the weather to be like this. Is it just no, no, the weather in Texas, the weather in Texas is kind of crazy. Like it's going to be 60, it's going to be 62 tomorrow and it's going to be 73 on Thursday. I'm just thinking like, how could it, you possibly avoid like if you start the the tour early March, without staying in like Florida or California for several weeks in a row, how do you avoid that? No, you just have to do. If you just do three weeks, that's what I'm saying. If there's a way, I mean, open at Tallahassee is a course that they're doing a Silver Series at. 
Um, and then uh, Throw Down the Mountain is another course that I've heard is, is good. So and you're then saying the do like course, three weeks in, in Florida to start it. Yeah, the course in Jacksonville too is also um, – that's where the – the last silver series event on the count, the calendar of 2022 is, but that, that tournament will, will roll over into the 2023 season. Yeah. So if there is a way of, uh, yeah, like just don't even have that tournament in, when is it? November, I think is mm-hmm. when that tournament is November. Or December. Don't even yeah. have, yeah. Don't even have that tournament in November. Like have, have the open at Tallahassee, the Jacksonville tournament, and then find some other tournament or something to where, we're doing three of three weeks, you know, three, even four weeks in Florida. Cause you could have a bye week in there too. And then, you know, you can start having, I am sure like Arkansas is probably not that bad in April. You could probably do know. Jonesboro. The, Jonesboro's had snow before. In April. Tournament. Well, I don't know when the tournament is in Jonesboro. I feel like it's April range. It was definitely well, late, yeah, late March. Or, it, was, it was definitely late March or early yeah. April. And there was I one, there was one know. tournament where it was like, 30 something and snowy for the pro tour there yeah i don't know if we want to get down there i mean again like it's just it's something to think about because i know you know from a player standpoint it is it is a little tricky um and from a spectator standpoint too like i think everyone would, would enjoy being out in at least like 70 or plus maybe that's just the Florida boy in me talking and people are like, nah, we want, we want well, 40 degree no, cold temperature. As a spectator, you're never like, you're not, ne- I, you know me, I enjoy cold weather. I'm not choosing to spectate a 40 degree tournament. I would never choose that. It's I wouldn't tough. mind, I wouldn't mind playing in a 40 degree tournament. It's not going to turn me from that, but spectating, if, if yeah. like spectating revenue is something that the pro tour wants, which it clearly is, you're right in that. Like you gotta be, I think, I think like, upper 50s mid 60s and sunny which obviously you can't control if it's sunny or not that's a good like that's a fine spectator day but if you're in the 50s and it's rainy it's already like rain in general is already deterring people but then if you make it below 60 and rainy that's i mean that's a nightmare you can't really get around that yeah no i mean we'll we'll see what happens but other, other than that you know the weather other than the weather i feel like i always talk about the weather i don't know you should be the foundation Um, weatherman i think that's what i'm determined I'm not a good weather person, though. No, like, that's what makes it funny. It. That's what makes it funny. Yeah. Well, other than that, the course uh, course is looking good. Nice. Um, Any no major cha- changes? No changes. Yeah. Yeah. No changes from from last year as far as layout or pen plate placement or pars. Everything's playing exactly the same. Um, one thing that is still to be determined is the OB line on hole one. Mm. If you remember last year, they pulled off the OB line yep. from the wall. And so you had a lot of guys. They actually, they, lit, uh, they took hit. the wall out, didn't they? The final round, I think the no, wall was I only think, halfway. I'm not sure. I mean, it didn't really matter because if you got to, if you got to the wall, you were already out of bounds. Yeah. So, um, so the, I'm not sure. It's hard to tell if there's a white line underneath the wall or not, but hopefully that's something that is easier to figure out, you know, in tomorrow's practice round. Um, other than that, the only other real changes that I've seen so far is these new trash can. Um, yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Upside down, ups, upside down trash so cans that I posted about on Twitter and social media and stuff. What's the material like? Is it is it literally like just a trash can material? Like it's just hard plastic? I, I would. I would say it's probably cheaper than a trash. It's it's not like you know brute like you know yeah. those like nice yeah, yeah, yeah. rubber made brute trash cans. It's not like that. It's like 
It's it. I, at at first, I thought Can Jam was sponsoring, <laughs> like the it's that It's that it's, thing. It's, it's pretty flimsy. So is it um, gonna get dented and dinged up? So we hit. So I hit the first one today on an upshot because we haven't. We haven't. We were really curious as to what you know what was going to actually happen when you hit it. Yeah. And it pretty much it pretty much just gives. So it just deadened it. Now, obviously, if you hit if you hit it more like on a glancing blow, it probably will kind of trampoline it off. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you hit it square, it's not like you're going to get some crazy bounce. Other things to think about is it does it does go further out than the cage. So something that I haven't looked into is yeah. discs that hit the cage. The chances of of what happens then, right? Because normally. So Cut, it's, it's wider cage, than the bottom of the basket. Well, it the bottom of it is. So it's it's it, oh, it's okay. Um, I, it's like it's like a top, cone shape. In a, correct. A okay. The top is okay. more. Yeah, top is a little smaller than the base. Um, it, some interesting, I would say, interesting reviews from people on social media. I thought, I thought I was going to see a lot more negativity. I don't. I think it's because maybe on cam, like on in the photo, it doesn't. It's hard to see exactly what it looks like. Yeah, um, I couldn't really tell what I was looking at. Right up. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see how that how that transpires to actual coverage uh, from from the players I've talked to. I have yet to find someone that says it it looks good. Everyone seems to think it's it's kind of an interesting look. Now, what I will say though is. The advertising on it is much more easily readable than those little foam pads that they uh, had previously. Yeah. So, if that's the case, if they're like, "Hey, these foam pads, we were having a really hard time selling it, and we're able to sell this advertising space for way more, and it, more people are interested in it," um, I think then at that point, it's one of those things where it's like, okay. Can we can we maybe just adjust the material or something to make it look a little bit better? Some of the things that they're having difficulties on is some of these baskets aren't necessarily a hundred percent vertical. Yeah, and especially the ground that they're on. Yeah, isn't a hundred percent flat. So you're starting to see where it's like you now have another thing in there that's separate from the basket. So it's like doesn't it, it's not level with the cage or the band mm. or or uh, it's not flush with the cage either. So yeah. viewing it, I, I'm very interested in to see maybe it's a non-story. Maybe no one says anything during coverage, and then it's a completely non-story. It doesn't. It, well, I mean, but at the same time, like that's actually would be pretty bad because then that would mean no one's looking actually at it yeah. for advertising. Well, what's purposes. uh. What was have you heard like any reasoning why they went away from like the foam koozie or whatever they were calling I, I it? I think it's just because I just think it's because it was hard to see on coverage. Hmm. I mean, I uh, I saw I mean Pro Pole for instance, not free advertising. Here we go. Uh, I saw theirs all the time. Like it was yeah, pretty, it was pretty I, easy for me to see. I mean, obviously this is a much bigger thing, but to me, mm-hmm. it the foam one looked professional. It was uh, like mm-hmm. coverage wise, like I get where maybe it was just harder to see, but it, it looked professional. You, it was small enough that 
in weird situations, it wasn't touching the floor or the basket or the like cage really. So you didn't have mm-hmm. to worry about anything like that. And it also didn't really seem to affect the play much. This one, the things I'm worried about is a, I think the way they made it is probably because like baskets aren't universally the same. Uh, like it's basically a lot depends on how the club put the basket uh, in, how high it is or whatever. Yeah. Um, so that might have something yep. to do with it, but also the ground height to the bottom of the cage probably changes from like mock X's to Prodigy T2s to whatever else you play on. True. So that might True. be part of, part of why the design is the way it is, but it looked like it almost looked like there was even a possibility of a disc, like getting wedged in between getting stuck. Yes. Yeah. The, could. the bottom of the cage and top of that. And also when I'm thinking if it's bendable enough plastic, that it bends and gives where a disc isn't going to roll away, then I'm thinking like mm-hmm. a hard drive could dent it or at least scuff it up really bad. But then if it's and not what does that, that look like, yeah. But then if that's not the case, I'd be worried about like if I throw a hyzer and it's coming in from 400 feet and I hit it, that's going to like now make it almost bounce off and roll away a lot more if it's not really malleable. So like, mm-hmm. I mean, what is yeah, that going mean, to look it, like? Yeah. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see, um, from a looks, like I said before, from a look standpoint, I haven't heard any any pros talk about how they think it looks good. I, I but I haven't heard any pros say that like, oh man, I got a terrible roll away or mm. I threw a shot. I like I said, we've played two rounds out here now. I've hit it once. That's the only time I've seen it hit, and it didn't do anything. It didn't change anything. Mm. Um, the two things I will say that I think look more professional yeah and something that i would i would rather instead of putting something under the basket like that i would rather sell the band the band Mm -hmm. at the top so have advertise advertisements and companies and stuff like that on the band and then flags those would be the two things now obviously flags um when it's not windy what's going to happen could you do like Um, but at least Oh, hmm. I've never seen that, but that's kind of cool. I'm just thinking. I, I will say this as far as like what, as far as like stuff that you're just like, oh my God, it looks weird. Like the cage wrap, for example, mm-hmm. that wouldn't really affect play at all, right? It no, wouldn't, it but wouldn't it would have look a great, weird. it would look weird, weird. But if you are an old old MMA fan and used to watch the UFC back in the day, they, the, the, the canvas that they fight on Mm -hmm. and even, and even like the actual octagon where they have like the padding and stuff in between the fences inside the octagon. Yeah. That all, that didn't always used to look what it looked, what it used to, that always didn't used to look like what it looks like now. Yeah. So I can imagine people that watched the UFC, for example, way back in the day, and maybe the canvas was much cleaner. And now you look at it and there's like, just on the floor alone, there's probably like one, two, three, four, five, six, like 10 plus advertisements yeah. just on the floor. And I'm sure like, if you have seen that from start to finish, you were probably like, what the heck? This looks terrible. But if you just jump into it now and it's the norm, it's probably not that big of a deal. So I think that's the same thing here where, like putting advertisements on the band or like you said, a cage wrap initially, it probably will look weird. And I'm sure some people will be like, I don't like it. Yeah. But if it's a way of, of generating income for the tour 
doesn't really change the play at all. It's something that I think we'll eventually all kind of get used to. So, yeah, I mean, I just I'm I'm I enjoy the idea that they're exploring different ways to monetize the like you were saying, find different revenue streams. Yes, that's great. I, I I'm personally like if I would advertise, which you know we have advertised the Pro Tour, um, I would choose the Koozie, the like square one over the current one, just because like this one it looks it looks like you just took a Rubbermaid trash can and flipped it upside down. I'll have to see what it looks like I, on coverage, but just the picture that I saw, <laughs> I'm looking at it and like not once did I think professional sport when I looked at it. The koozie, they, uh, the like foam wrap, that looked professional to me. That that looked like like the NBA, like uh, what you run into the what is it, the stand for the basket, basically. That that's yeah. what that reminded they, me of. So they didn't have they didn't have them all installed yet when we first were out there, and so in one of the holes, the first one we actually came across, it was in the woods, like forty feet away from the basket, mm-hmm. and and I was like, are they? I was like. We all thought we're like, are they putting, like, are they putting advertisements on the trash cans? <laughs> and then later in the round, we realized, oh no, that's not a trash can. That's, that's like, like that's going like going on the uh, basket. It, it, that's like on the basket now. So we'll see. But um, they might they might also find I, a new way a way to like fasten it to the bottom of the cage or something to where it we'll see. it closes we'll see. the gap and makes it all con- coherent or something. I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to see what we'll it looks see. like on coverage. It might also just look incredible yeah. on camera and you only notice it in your person. And if that's the case, then I mean, run with it. That's that's why I'm waiting to kind of see what the people when when everyone watches it on coverage, what everyone's thoughts are. Because if it's a unanimous like, hey, this looks terrible, then maybe they need to like reassess and do something differently. But if people are like, I didn't even really notice, then it's whatever. Um other things with the tournament coming up, obviously we talked about the weather, we talked about the course. Let's talk about the field a little bit. Yeah. So you look at Las Vegas and I think all of us, me, you, and Trevor included, we were all talking about, okay, this is a this is a clear jump from what it was last year. Yeah. Of uh, just the depth of the field. And I think now you look at Waco. And I think it's I think it's even better. I think the field's even better. Um, I had a, I think it was it Stat Mando or PDGA Stat. It might have been PDGA Stats on Twitter. He posted something in regards to like ratings and was like this many thousand rated players and yada yada. Yeah, you know my you know my thoughts on ratings. So I was just like, hey, can you can you pull the numbers on world rankings mm. and give me that? Um, cause that's something that would be kind of interesting and I can't remember exactly what it was for FPO. Um, but MPO was pretty easy because it was 70 of the top 100 players are in the field. Nice. So, um, I think that's going off of UDISC world rankings or yeah. it might've been the PGJ world rankings. Um, but that just shows you like the field. That's a pretty deep field. Yeah. You know? well, that's what, um, um, we were prepping for the, grip lock preview show and mm-hmm. speaking to the deep field we were like trying to do our predictions and i was looking through and i was like man because waco in general looking back at the history of waco it's it's a tough one to predict because uh, on fpo it's been a little more straightforward but on mpo like you had coaling won it twice in a row paul's won it mm-hmm. uh colt montgomery's won it james conrad's been in the mix I think nate perkins was in the mix once like it, it's been kind of all nico won it last year it's been kind of all over the place uh, so I was looking at it, and I started going down the list, 
and just like person after person after person i just kept on chair i was like they could win they could win they could win they could like there is legitimately 25 people that before the start of the tournament i looked at the list and i was like these 25 people could legitimately walk away winning waco this year and it wouldn't surprise me yeah it's a tournament it's a tournament that definitely opens it to where you know, Las Vegas, there there are guys that were in that tournament that knew they had no chance of winning, yeah. right? Because they couldn't throw far enough. Mm-hmm. Um, there's other tournaments where you might be a, let's say, forehand dominant player, and there are so many holes that require backhand, specific backhands, that you're going in and you're like, I'm at a huge disadvantage, I can't win this tournament, right? Mm-hmm. This this course sets up for pretty much anyone. Any and that's and that's like if you the the list of people that you just listed off, you had Coling, who's a forehand dominant person player. Yeah. Yep. You had um James Conrad, who is a backhand dominant player. Mm-hmm. You had Nico, who throws flex shots. Yep. You have um Paul, Paul who throws straight shots. Um Colton. Who is another person? Colton Montgomery. Colton. He throws mostly Heiser shots. Yeah. Um, so it's like there isn't a style of play that basically eliminates you. And um, the only thing, I mean, again, we don't have that many lefties on tour, so it's tough to be like, oh, well, this doesn't suit lefties. But the fact that forehand dominant and backhand dominant players can win this event, uh, I think sets it up to where you can't count people out where Vegas, I think you could go through the list and at a certain point you're like, all right, no one else can really win. Yeah. So I think it's going to be very, very exciting. I think especially this is a tournament too that the last couple holes set up so well for like decision-making. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. hole, hole, hole 15, 16, 17, 18, you all have decisions off the tee. Even... Even going back, I mean, whole whole fourteen, which is that little dinky par three, with the triple man. Um, that, yeah, that that's a straightforward shot. But going back a whole previous to that, whole thirteen, uh, guys can two that hole. Yeah. So so that's another one. You know, you're coming out of the woods and you have what is it? 12, 13, 14, 15. No wait, thirteen. Thirteen is the first open hole. Yeah. 14. 15, 16, 17, 18. Yeah, so you have six holes coming out of the woods, and five of those six, you have a decision to make on the tee of how aggressive you want to play. So I think that's where it makes it, from a viewer standpoint, very, very exciting because I think, one, we're going to see – you know a handful of people probably within a couple strokes coming down the stretch, and you can easily have two-shot swings – um, on on a lot of those holes. So yeah, yeah, it's it's exciting one, and and uh, this is actually, I, I just thought about this today. Like, t- it's been two years of me playing on tour. Like, this is gonna, this is my two year uh, reunion or anniversary, if you will. Um, which it seems like it's been so much longer than that. Um, but yeah, two years ago I played Waco for the first time. Yeah, and that was my first disc golf pro tour event. So That's crazy. It, this this event, I think, does have a little bit more meaning to to, to me uh, than some of the other ones. Yeah, I mean that's what because <laughs> I was just looking back. Um, 
because like shortly after you played Waco is when you bought into Foundation, I believe. Or is it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that's the start of it. Yeah. And so looking back like a year, because we were looking at, um, I had to go back for tax returns because it's tax season. Always fun. And I Heck went yeah. back to 2019. I was like, man, 2019 was the start of Foundation. Like, that was only three years ago. And then it hit me that my two nieces were born before Foundation existed. And like that just messed mm. my timeline up because like yeah. Foundation, kind of like you were saying, like the it feels like it's been around for so long. Kind of like you feel like you've been on tour for so long. But my nieces, like I can see them. I, I know that they're only three. I can tell they haven't been around long. I can tell that they're like, it seems like my mm-hmm. nieces have been in my life like super recently and Foundation I've been doing for like 10 years. It was it was wild, but what's uh? I think it's the co- I think it's the COVID and yeah. the quarantining. I think yeah. that really messed up a lot of. It threw off lines. all the timelines. Yeah, it really just yep. messed with it. So two years on on the road. All right, I'm put you on the spot. Most memorable moment of the la- of the first two years on tour. Oh, it, it, that's easy. Okay. It was qualifying qualifying for USDGC at Goat Hill. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I won't make that, you go through your, your least memorable moment. I won't, I won't make you relive. I don't know what it would be, but I'm not going to make you relive it. I'll play nice there. Uh, so the other thing, no, though. I don't know. I was. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to talk about the field of Waco. If you want to go through your least memorable moment, you could, you could think through it. I, I, it'd be hard for me to pick. There would be a lot of them. <laughs> yeah. I was going to really quick, though, back to the field at Waco. Because, you you know. Yeah, let's do we, it. We were talking about how deep the field is, but. This is also yeah. we're seeing um, some players, like notable players, not playing. Now, for different reasons, uh, you have Drew, who I believe is house shopping. Eagle, I think mm-hmm. he, it, Waco requires a lot more forehands for him, and he's trying to rest the elbow. Last I had heard is the reason for not playing. Mm-hmm. But is this something that you think going forward now that the tour, like a lot, I mean, now the tour, I guess, is a little bit more established, and there's also like yeah. a little bit more money involved in the sport. Is this something where you think is going to become a little bit more regular, where some of the top players are picking and choosing their tour stops that they know they can do well at, and then picking and choosing their off weeks throughout the tour season? Yeah. So, do you know? Do you know how the? Uh, do you know how the points work as far as how many events count? Uh, I'd have to relook at. It. Isn't it like eight? Yeah. So eight eight elite series and three silver series count. Yeah. So you're essentially being able to th- you, you even if you played all of them, uh, they you have to throw out however many you played over eight, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and I think you know, especially you know the two people you just listed, for example, they they feel like I don't know if they're going to play even all eight. I'm assuming they probably end up playing at least eight. Um, but if they just play the bare minimum and maybe they have one or two bad tournaments, they're going to, they're going to still be able to get enough points yeah. to, to get in. Um, I, I think what you're seeing right now is you're starting to see guys understand. And I talked to Ezra about this a little bit because, you know, we're, we, uh, I'm kind of game planning with him a little bit on, uh, on our schedule as far as, um, you know, getting to and from some of these tournaments. And essentially what we've talked about is like, he noticed a drastic, drastic difference when he took a week off Mm. after playing three weeks in a row. Yeah. Right. And I think you're going to see more and more people realize that there really isn't as much benefit 
as there was back in the day. Because back in the day, it was a I got to play every week because I got bills to pay. I, yeah. I have to I have to earn some sort of money. Yeah. But now, if you if you have a contract of where it's like guaranteed money, um, and you know it's coming in, why why would you play every event? Yeah. Like why why not be able to take a week off before? I mean, this is something that I'm even looking at right now. I mean, as as much as I want to play Tallahassee, right? Mm-hmm. I I want to play it. It's a it's a Florida event. Um, there's a good chance my mom's gonna be able to come over and watch. I really want to play it. But you have Champions Cup the week after. Yeah. So. I'm doing Waco, Belton, Texas State's Music City Open. I'm doing all four of those. Do I really want Champions Cup to be my sixth tournament in a row? Yeah, when you could just have that week, even go to Georgia or, a week early and just yeah. Or do I and and get some practice in, be able to recover, not yeah. have to, you know take take one or two days off after Music City Open. So I think guys are going to start being a little bit more strategic when it comes to their schedule, as far as um, what tournaments they're going to want to play in and stuff. Cause I don't think it's as important. And also too, with the rise of people on social media, I think there also was a little of this, like I, I have to stay relevant, right? Yeah. I have to go to every event so people don't forget about me and I have to stay relevant. But yeah. now it's like, these a lot of people are starting to get big enough followings on social media to where they can keep their fans and stuff like that in the know of what they're up to and they don't have to feel like they have to be grinding an entire season on tour so i think you're going to start seeing that more from people of picking and choosing like elite series events i'm not even talking because silver series you already are seeing people that are just like I'm not playing any silver series or I'm going to play these two. But I think you're going to start seeing some people too, like even their game, right? Like what if you, what if you're someone that necessarily doesn't have the distance? Yeah. Like what's, what's the point of going to Vegas and, you know, competing for a top 20 in Vegas, if you know that you can't, you know, throw far enough to really compete there. Like why, why even do that? So I think you're going to start seeing people be more strategic. And then I guess that moves on to something I did want to bring up, which was uh, A tiers. Um, I don't even even want to bring up B tiers, but let's just talk (laughs) about A tiers, right? Yeah. And obviously, you guys, Grip Lock just came out yesterday and you guys talked about the memorial, right? Yeah. Yeah. At at what point do you guys no longer, because you talked about the memorial, but you didn't talk about, for example, you didn't talk about, I can't remember what event it was. I saw some tweet talking about it though. Joel Freeman ended up shredding some A tier that he played at. Mm-hmm. So, like, what made you decide that the memorial was newsworthy to talk about? And at what point? Well, I guess yeah. Just answer that. Like, what what made you decide that you needed to talk about the results of memorial? Well, uh, several reasons. First, being it was Paul's first tournament of the year. Um, so mm-hmm. it was the first time we saw him, but also the memorial still has history. Um, it's a dying, yeah. uh, I mean, it's a dying history because it's not going to make it back on the pro tour. So mm-hmm. I think realistically we're two, three, four years out from not, not talking about the memorial at all because like right now it's still too, especially to like Trevor and I, 
that was the start of the season. And for so many disc golf fans, yep. that was the start yep. of the season, the start of the national tour, everything. And I think that's what you're seeing players still choosing that tournament is it just feels right. Like it feels like mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like a disc golf season started. Like when Las Vegas well, challenge which a, used to be the gentlemen's club challenge was like the week I would, before. I would actually, I would, I would disagree with you. Uh, there, there's one reason why the majority of people are playing at Memorial. Why? It's obvious. The ratings? It's not obvious. You don't know. You think yeah. ratings? Yeah. I don't 100%. think so. I don't think so. Oh, 100%. No. Because realistically, nowadays, I mean, before this rating update. Ratings right? still matter, though. To we're we're going to get into to who? To manufacturers. You think? Yes. Not, not yes. much longer. I hope not, but they still do. And there, you know how it is. It takes a while, takes a while for things to change. Yeah. And so it's going to take a while for people to still think that that number next to my name literally means nothing. Well, here's, we'll here's a question. Day. Here's a question. But, next year, next year, Paul decides to not play Memorial. He's going to play Vegas and then he's going to go down yeah. and start playing Waco. Yeah. And so now, cause you already had this year, Ricky didn't show up. Eagle didn't show up. So you already had like yeah. some of the top rated players. We're going to talk ratings in the world. Was Dickerson there? I don't think so. No. Yeah. Okay. I don't believe so. Uh, so you already had some of the top rated players in the world. So, and yeah. and Paul shot one off of what what of what is currently the highest rated round ever, thirty nine. He shot a forty opening round, and it was like eleven oh eight, twenty four mm-hmm. points off, one stroke different, twenty four points off what it would be. Probably because the field had a lot to do with that. So now Paul disappears from that field. Ratings at that tournament aren't going to be special anymore. If you have one or two more top top players disappear from that field, the ratings aren't going to be special anymore. Because, and my point is, or at least I think, I'd have to look back, but the uh, Shelly Sharp Memorial is playing pretty much the same courses a few months before. and the Shelly Sharp doesn't play. It doesn't play Shelly Sharp. It's, it's, so there's it's, something that plays no, Shelly Sharp. No, no, no. Oh. Shelly Sharp is the, is the one that's like south of uh, Phoenix. There's something that plays... Um, that plays fountain earlier in the year or in the off season that like some pros, yeah. some players go to because that are in Arizona. Okay. But that's not okay. a tournament that everyone's showing up to. And since everyone, maybe I'm thinking of to, Maricopa, maybe I'm thinking of Maricopa. Yeah. But regardless, I think that like one or two players don't show up to it and the ratings aren't anything special anymore because the ratings well, are based he, on the field playing the course, not the course. Well, here's another question. The whole issue. Going back to my, going back to my like journalistic of like what's news and what's not. If, if Chris Dickerson decided to skip Vegas next year mm-hmm. and play in some A tier in Tennessee the week before Waco, right? So not Memorial, some some big A tier tournament in Tennessee. Are you covering that it next depends year? On the field, depending on the field, because the other big storyline here was Drew Gibson, who just won Vegas, was in the field and got beat by Paul. Okay, so you're so it's essentially it's essentially to the point of where if enough good players show up at a, any tournament, not any. and that makes sense, not I, any. Because if it, if this was the middle well, of the season, we'd already seen Paul against the field, and we'd already seen like then so we weren't covering it. You think it's more just the fact that personally it's like we weren't early. Have. Yeah, it was okay. literally just it's a two headed beast. It's one that it's the memorial, so it still feels like the start yep. of the disc golf season. We're not far enough removed. Hundred percent. The name, the memorial, still has prestige in disc golf, 
And then two, 100%. it was Paul's first tournament against a strong field. If Paul's first tournament mm-hmm. would have been at a local B tier or C tier, we might have covered it in like a in brief passing. Like, hey, Paul came out, he played it, you know, can't really tell what he Some weird, crazy happens or something. Yeah, or, or like last week, if the memorial didn't happen, it wouldn't have really any storylines. And so if, if that would have been Paul's opening tournament or Eagle would have had his opening tournament or Ricky, really Paul, Ricky, Eagle, Calvin, outside of those four, we probably wouldn't have said anything. But if those four would have yeah. played their opening tournament, we probably would have just like mentioned it in passing. But this one, it was just mm-hmm. a storm of like, there was a very solid field of players that we just saw at Vegas. So we had a little bit of reference, one of them being the Vegas champion. And then Paul was now entered into that field, which was the storyline of like, this is Paul's first test against this somewhat full field, nowhere near fully full field. And then no. it also is the only time we're going to see Paul versus Drew until Champions Cup, which is another storyline. True. Oh, I see. That makes, yeah, you can have different storylines there. Yeah. yeah, for sure. But speaking I of think like prestige, just, I think, uh, yeah, go for I it. Had, this was another question I had with the tour because, like, again, like what you're asking me is a great question. And a big part of it is the prestige the memorial still holds to me because it mm. was the start of the disc golf season for so long. So the name the memorial still holds prestige. Do you think yep. with players picking and choosing their schedules and as that continues to develop, are there going to be tour events? Because this has happened in, in golf on the PGA Tour where there's tour events For that sure. players just don't show up. Are there going to be tour events that have more prestige and so those fields are like notorious for being stronger than other events just because I don't, I don't know what will end up kind of separating it out, but is that going to be something that kind of happens where it's known like this event, the whole field's here versus the next week yeah. at Waco only half is? Or half yeah, of the so best players? So there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. Uh twelve. Sorry, there's twelve. So there's twelve excluding the playoffs, right? Because that's a different we can't we can't add in M- GMC and MVP because that's part of the playoffs. That's a different thing. There's twelve events. Yeah. Um I think from a player standpoint. There are multiple things that go into place for what is like would make it more meaningful than others. The first one, I think, is the easiest one, which is money. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The ones that have the highest purses, that's that's going to be especially right with right now, how you can have, you know, Vegas, for example, with six thousand. It's not crazy to think that one of these events could come up with a purse of twelve thousand for the first place, mm-hmm. and so that's that's doubled, right? Yeah. So that's a massive, you know, if it's a small difference, it doesn't matter, but that's a massive difference. So I think that's one. the The other one I think is the course. So something like Ledgestone, for example, where there is that prestige in. Northwoods and how it is, you know, considered one of the more difficult courses. And then you have to play Eureka, which is another difficult course, but it's a completely different style. That, that tournament is going to hold a lot of prestige because people know that you can't really get fluky and you have to have four good rounds on two different style of courses that are both good courses. Yeah. That holds prestige is the course and then the third thing i want to say which is way down there like i think those two are much higher than this third one that's on a different level but i think this third one has potential of growing and getting higher up there and that is the crowd the fans uh yeah um so 
the first the two will probably that, draw the third. Correct. Like Des Moines, I've talked about this tournament multiple times. Des Moines, I don't think they had more people. I don't think they had like an absorbent amount of more fans than other events we played at. But they were loud, rowdy, enthusiastic. Um, and so you can create some of these events where we know going into it, right? Like this place, if you win this tournament, it is crazy because there are so many people. Um, and again, this is something too that can have drastic changes because, you know, when you're dealing with 50,000 people versus 60,000, that 10,000 person gaps, not that massive. No. Yeah. But with the numbers we're dealing with, of where it's like, okay, Vegas had a thousand fans. Des Moines has seven thousand. Yeah. That is going to be a crazy noticeable change, to where I think that is the third thing that probably adds prestige. Um, and so, yeah, I think I think you're going to see some of these tournaments. I think also a lot of it can be done on the tournament side of how they market it and how much money they put into it. Uh, so it's going to be really interesting to kind of see because right now I think there's a couple tournaments that kind of jump out at you as like, you know, Hey, if you could win an event, what event would you want to win at? Um, but there also are a bunch that are kind of still just doesn't really matter. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see kind of as we go exactly like you're talking about with Memorial, how that still holds this prestige for you eventually that will slowly fade away Yeah, and what other tournaments fill its spot and, and continue to go higher and higher to where, you know, obviously the majors are on a completely different level, but you know, an example in golf right now is the players championships happening this week. Um, and that's notorious for having, um, the best field mm-hmm. in, in golf outside of majors, the best field. So that's where it's like, what you're talking about is, does does Portland open for whatever reason, does that have the best field every yeah. year? And so you know going into it, like a win everyone there. that is going win. Yeah. So yeah, we'll see. But it's exciting to look at and definitely exciting to talk about, that's for sure. Yeah, that's what like what's wild in my head is just like the kind of the evolution of the sport as it grows, because like Memorial was always the start of the disc golf season. There was like the wintertime open would happen and a lot of like California, Arizona pros would play it. It was just an A tier mm-hmm. that happened like a week or two before Memorial. And so that yep. coverage would come out and like everyone been dying. Cause at this time no one was making disc golf YouTube videos. Really. There was like a few like disc golf weekly who now works for dynamic discs. He was making, uh, um, like disc reviews and disc golf. Uh, I believe disc golf nerd, I think was someone there. There's, Danny, who now also works for Dynamic, there's like a few people who are making tutorial content and disc reviews, but there wasn't n- nearly the amount of disc golf content that you consume in an off season back yeah. 2015, 2016. And so wintertime open happened. And I mean, every Central Coast would do it, and everyone's dying just to watch people play. And it was always Paul's tournament. Paul came out and always won it for years, like 11 in a row or something. So it was your first time seeing Paul play during the year. Players, other players would come out that were pretty notable. Uh, I gave you just that first taste. Then the memorial would happen, and that was the actual like start of the tour. Uh, and then I remember Gentleman's Club Challenge, which is now the Las Vegas Challenge. The Gentleman's Club Challenge yep. at one point jumped the gun and was before the memorial. And it was like the start of the national tour, and the memorial was the start of the pro tour or something along those lines. 
and it just felt weird. It was the same thing when the tour championship happened after USDGC. The first year that happened, it felt awful. It, it was did, weird. It, it didn't feel right because mm-hmm. USDGC was the end of the disc golf season. And then we just had, and mm-hmm. even players were talking about it, how like USDGC was the end and now we have to gear up but for another feels, event. Now it feels normal. Now, now it feels, feels normal. normal. And that's the I thing think, is like I now Vegas feel... feels normal to, to me to be the start of the disc golf season. The Memorial still has some prestige, but like we didn't do a preview show before Memorial. So it obviously doesn't have the same prestige to us. And you know, it's something that like next year we, we might talk about it in passing and two years from now we might not even say, we might not even remember it. We might you, not even know what's happening. You, you know what's really interesting now that I'm looking at the schedule? Well, first off, this is a different color orange, and that is freaking me out. I'm, I don't like that. I'm changing that immediately. Um, what do you think about this real quick? before? Because I do want to talk about ratings a little bit because okay. uh, I, did, I did post a little tweet out there, so I do want to get your thoughts on that. Okay. Um, but I'm looking at the schedule right now, and, and I have it in an Excel spreadsheet, so it's kind of easy to see for me like the d- distribution of everything. This is this kind of caught my eye, and I, I didn't really think about it until you just were talking about how the tour championship and USDGC. What do you think about having the having USDGC pushed up? Now, obviously, that might be a situation with timing, as far as like so. So, so don't even think about the course. Okay. Don't even think about like oh well, you can't push it up because school's still in session and yeah. Don't even think about that. Just think about the actual placements of things. Right now, as is, USDGC is the week before the tour championship. Mm -hmm. And you literally go GMC, which is a playoff, MVP playoff, off week, USDGC tour championship. To me right now, the way that that's set up, it's kind of weird that you have this other event that's super, super meaningful thrown into this playoff structure. So I'm looking at it right now. We also go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. You, you go eight, seven weeks until a, a major. Okay. Yeah. Then you go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 weeks, a major. One, two, three, four, five, six weeks of major. One, two, three, four, five, five weeks of major. Mm. So they're, they're like that first section. And then I the mean, tour championship almost feels like a major. Yes. So and what are your thoughts on like if the Champions Cup got moved up a little bit, if European Open got moved up a little bit, or the world, the, I mean, again, worlds, I think we have a disagreeing, I think. Well, maybe we don't have a disagreeing opinion, but that's a tournament that is just kind of a weird, weird one for me. Because really, that this is that's what's crazy right now is you literally go World Championship, Silver Series that most people aren't going to play in, and then playoff, playoff, off week, USCGC Tour Championship. Like to me, I think for the season, if you could if you could space out the majors a little bit more. And and push everything in front of the playoffs. That would be for the disc golf pro tour's sake. That would be able. I think that would make it to where there would be a lot more focus on those, right? Because like I, you guys are going to be watching GMC MVP, and you guys are probably going to be thinking who looks like they're in good a good spot to win USDGC. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a weird mindset. 
Um, you know, like, isn't that, that's probably what you're going to be thinking. Like who looks good well, right like, now? Down who's the, playing well right yeah. now? You're not thinking down like, that who's stretch. playing well to win the tour championship. Yeah. Cause USDGC is like the most, in my opinion, if you take title out of it, it's the, like the name of the tournament. It's the most prestigious tournament to win. It's the hardest tournament to win. Um, mm-hmm. be- mainly because of the course and it being at the same course every year. That's kind of how it's got its prestige. And, and, and the qualif- and the qualification and the qualifying. Yeah, both of those combined. Because there's probably years where Worlds is technically harder to win. It's just like that happens one, and then the next year it's at a course that's way easier than USCGC. So it just kind of flip flops. But USCGC is always going to have its teeth out. Well, the but- world the world's field is way worse than USCGC USDGC's field. Well, I mean, what players are playing USDGC that aren't playing Worlds? No, no, I'm saying that there there are more people that get into the Worlds field that... Right, well, what's the number? But that I doesn't affect it. No- that doesn't really well, affect the, the quality of the field. The, it does if the numbers matter. I Worlds don't know normally what the has two pools. On. They normally have A pool and B pool, and they flip them, but like... When you're thinking of like quality of field, I'm thinking like is the top 50 players there, and they're both at both, they're at both. So like the quality oh, of the field. Saying, oh, I see. I see what you're saying. Like I don't think that like just the, the, the average rating the top, or whatever you want to use. Are the, top, are the top 80 at both? Probably. I mean, 80 starts getting interesting because of the world ranking system, because it's still like it's it's fast. Have you looked at the world ranking after Vegas? No. Fascinating. Which one? The UDISC. I use the UDISC as the official because the PDGA let's talk really about update. this. Yeah. Let's let's talk about this. Unless you had something else. Did we were we talking about something else or did you we were just talking about the position of, of USDGC, but I don't know where I stand on it. We probably would have yeah, disagreed because I like it. I don't know. I don't know where I stand yet. Maybe we come back to that. Maybe we give me time to think through my, my decision on it. <laughs> but like my last my last thought on that, and then we'll go talk about ratings and world rankings and stuff is it, think about this last USDGC, right? Like Paul wins. Yeah. Right. And then literally the next week, Nathan queen wins. No, the biggest, the biggest check of all time. Back to back. Isn't like, good. That's not good. The Paul story's gone. Yeah. Well, it's either the Paul story's gone or like the, they're both overshadowed by each other because when you're looking yes. back at the year, you're going to remember Paul's win more than Nathan queen's win. Whereas, like, and you're also going to remember James Conrad. If they're, like, spread, if out they're spread out, is it easy to remember both in your head? But they happen so quick back to back. Because, like, Conrad, mm. you're not going to forget Conrad's win. You're not going to forget Paul's win. You're, Nathan Queen's win, you might kind of slip over, but it's because it happened right after USDGC. But I don't know the answer to that one because, like, US, yeah. USDGC not being in October, like, to me, would be like the, like, the Masters not being in April. Like it just doesn't it doesn't know, feel I, right. Yeah, I, to me, it's not even so much the fact that it's just like back to back. It's the fact that it's like in the middle of the playoff. That's what's like throw. I didn't even think about but this until now. Yeah. Just it's throwing it off because it's like GMC. I think you have like the top hundred guys get into GMC, and then the top seventy or sixty then qualify for MVP, and then the top thirty six or whatever qualify for the Tour Championship. But timeout. We're all going to go and play like to me, that's where it's like, if you don't, let's say like I get 37th after MVP. Yeah. You don't see me play until next season. I'm done. Yeah. Versus like, this is like, 
I get 37th and then I go to USDGC and I win. Well, no, if you get but 37th gonna, at yeah. GMC, you might still have enough points to qualify. No, no, no. I'm saying I'm saying at the end of MVP because you go GMC, MVP, then the Tour Championship. Yeah. I'm saying at the end of MVP, oh, your, I fin- your whatever I finish, I'm 37th in points. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then I go two weeks later and win USDGC. And then the next week, I'm not even in the tour championship. Yeah. Well, that's why the, the it's the split of that's like, the gonna PDGA. Be awesome. Can I say that right? That now? would be they don't change anything. That would be fascinating. That would be awesome if someone wins USDGC and the next week they're not even in the tour championship. I wonder if they would like give that, them a buy, like they would let them in. No, you can't. You, you can't. shouldn't. They're two separate. Yeah, that's they're what I'm saying. Those. I think that's the issue they're going to run into is the Pro Tour probably would love for USDGC not to be in the middle of that, but the Pro Tour has no control over USDGC. Heck, the PDGA doesn't even really have any control over the USDGC. Like, they haven't even been... They, they, for years, they've been running as an experimental major because they don't even abide by all the PDGA rules. <laughs> like, that, that's how little control the PDGA has over the major. And so, True. like, could the PDGA even say, hey, Innova, we're moving USDGC to... Like, let's just say they said... We're moving it to where it's seven weeks in between every major. So now it's in, what would that be, like late May or early June, uh, USDGC? Well, I mean, you could put USDGC right before the playoffs where, where Worlds is. So you could do end of August. So let's just say end of August. They're like, hey, we're moving it back to the end of August. Like what happens yeah. if Innova goes no? Like USDGC mm. is literally trademarked by Disc Golf United, which is Innova East. I think it's technically yeah. trademarked by uh, like US Disc Golf or something. It makes it it makes it tough. Because like that's they a don't that's have, an interesting situation there. They don't have yeah. I don't think they have really a say. Like in how what's does the PGA like? So. I'd be fascinated to know how much like it, it wears the line of what the PDGA can and can't do with USDGC. Like, is there a point where they're like, we can't? We decide like you, the PDGA has to essentially recreate it and just call it US Open, the US Open or something. And fully move it away from Innova to get control over it, or is it like would the PDG have to buy yeah. it from Innova? Or is it, like I don't know. The USDGC is fascinating because it's my favorite tournament of the year by a mile. <laughs> but I think it is such a realistically, I think it is such a like weird and I don't want to say bad because it's a great tournament for disc golf. But for the future of disc golf, there's gonna be a problem with it. There's no way around it. There's got. There's gonna be. It's it's. Yeah, it's one of those where it's like, do you want to just try to make changes right now before it gets too big? But it's like, who's um, making the changes? Because <laughs> like, if if Innova doesn't want to, well, Innova who, doesn't, they're not going to be definitely doesn't want to. That's what I'm yeah, saying. Innova definitely doesn't want. So to. like, how I mean, I how think, is it going to budge? It, I think it. I think it boils down to like the PDGA again. I, we don't really know their involvement, but like, I think it's going to happen when like the PDGA is like, hey, we have this sponsor. You know, they get someone that's like, we want to sponsor USDGC. We want to be the title sponsor, yada, yada. And then potentially, like, at that point, you have the PDGA say, like, hey, Innova, you either do what we're asking or we're going to, like you said, we're going to start the US Open and we're going to have this title sponsor. Because, again, like, that's what I can't wait to see happen because I think it, it, it is going to happen eventually. Something's got to happen. It is get- going to happen. Something's going to happen right now where there is competition because right now there really isn't any competition, right? And um, well, what's I, tough I, is like is, is just it's got to be the answer to this has to be yes, but like is just the major title enough 
Because like if that's you, what I want to know. The that's USDGC know has the like the only thing the PDJ could pull from USDGC is the tier. They could make who, it instead of a major. Who to made an it a major? Who the, made it a major? The PDGA did. Okay, so exactly there you go. So the PDGA literally goes. Guess what? USDGC, your event now is an A tier. Yeah. And we're we're gonna run the US Open at Eagles Crossing and the winner's gonna get a hundred thousand dollars. And oh, it's that's, a major. If the winner got a hundred thousand dollars, then yeah, no one's thinking twice. But I'm just thinking like the Throw Pink Women's Disc Golf Championship last year felt I'm just it to me, and I think to most people watching, it felt like a bigger tournament than US women's. Even like yes. like people just talked about Missy Gannon winning all this. I couldn't well, tell you who won US women's also, right now. And US women's also, was the major. <laughs> like that just doesn't it, throw pink but, women's was an A tier. But does that does that I It's think got a lot to do with the course and when it happened. A no, lot to do with when it. When it happened. Yes. More with when it happened. Because I think if the MPO wasn't there and they did throw pink uh they did throw pink the week before and MPO is playing some other event that they're filming and yeah. stuff. Like I think I think that matters. I think no, a lot it definitely of people... it definitely does. Yeah. But I'm just wondering, like, if because when Champions Cup was going to happen and it was going to happen in the format it was, but it was still a major. The major alone wasn't enough for players to like. There's a lot of players that are willing to boycott it, even though it was still a major. Who? I mean, I know Paul said he wasn't going. I had heard other it's players. I had heard it's other players person. say they weren't going. I had. But and rubber I meets think, the road. Rubber meets the road. The, the a lot of the Are players they, that I heard that were going, they were excited because they were like, "This is going to be the easiest major. For the, this is the best major I have a chance at winning." So I think like, if you were outside the, the top I mean, ten, why weren't you showing up? I think I think rubber meets the road. I think a lot of a lot of people would have showed up. I, man, but let's talk. Let's let's talk. Let's let's switch. Let's switch gears a little bit and let's talk. Uh, let's talk what you're going to talk about with the world ranking. So, what were you going to say first about the? Was it the PDJ World Rankings? Or no, we were UDIS? looking at the UDIS because to this okay. point, I'm still considering UDIS the official World Rankings. The Pro okay. Tour is I'm, still using them. They update the most regularly. Uh, what was confusing to me, and this is the thing that I think that the PDGA rankings are going to have over UDIS, is it's it still confuses me so much how they update. Trying to get to how uh, how how the World Rankings update for MPO. Or sorry for we'll, uh, we'll for use U- MPO, but it's the same for for, for U disc. Yeah. Uh, where on earth is this thing? So I put up a poll recently. I don't know if you saw it on Twitter. And um, am I? St- how do you get to it in the app? Am I am I dumb right now? You have you have to go to like U disc live. Oh, you U disc live and then rankings. Yep. And then you see it. That's how I've always learned. All right, so I did a poll just to kind of gauge kind of what people on Twitter were thinking. And uh, I said, what's your favorite, you know, statistics or rating system, mm-hmm. right? Now, I think people, I left it open-ended like that. So I think some people definitely answered it for like themselves, like what they enjoyed the most for like their themselves. And so I think that's why it might be skewed a little bit. I probably should have been a little more direct and said like, what's your favorite ranking system for like the pro tour? Um, so I have PDGA rating, UDISC world ranking, PDGA world ranking and the disc golf pro tour standings. Uh, PDGA world ranking was the lowest at 13%. 
Yudis world ranking was the highest at 39%. And then PDGA ranking came in at 30%. And the Disc Golf Pro Tour standings came in at 18 so, Wait, which was which was the PDGA rating? Which was the ranking percentage-wise? The the rate the rating was thirty, which was just behind just below the U, world ranking. You yeah. And then the world ranking for the PDGA was the lowest. Yeah, I think 13. the I think the PDGA world ranking has the most potential. I think they still need to tweak a little bit, but the reason I say that is because it's it's very it's a lot more tangible on how you move up and down because the UDISC ranking seems to be relatively accurate for the most part, but this dominance index, like I, there's no way to know when a player's playing an event, how much their dominance index is just going to fluctuate. And so that's what, like we were looking at today and you have a player like Gannon Burr. He jumped up eight spots for, with almost winning into 15th place. Right. For you, for you disc. Uh, yeah. I'm talking you disc right now. Uh, yeah. cause the PDGA, we don't know when it's going to, it says it's going to update after majors, I think. Um, so UDISC updates after every tournament, which is what they've got going for him. So then Drew jumps up four places after a win. Paul doesn't play Vegas, jumps up, jumps Rick to become the number one world ranked without playing. And Rick just drops down. So that's confusing, number one, because like, I guess it's just because Rick lost, but like, how can someone jump to number one in the world without being there? And then as, as you yeah. scroll down, there's I'm- also like Scott Withers just pops in, new at 28th, just popped in right there. Like it just says new. It doesn't say how much he moved up or down. Well, and then yeah. here's a fascinating yeah. one. What place did you come in at Vegas? Like thirty eighth? Thirty seventh, I think. Thirty seventh. So you came in thirty seventh and yet you went down a spot in the world rankings to seventy ninth. With your your dominance huh. ranking went up, but you went down. I guess because it must not have went up enough to jump Paul Omen and then Scott Withers got thrown in at twenty eighth. But that's what I'm saying is like I can't tell how accurate this is because I can't tell how they're getting the dominance index. Like they have this whole article, so you can technically tell, but it's like player one meets player two, so it equals D one divided by D one plus D two. Okay. But like that doesn't that doesn't help me. Like when I'm watching a tournament, I don't know how to plug everyone into that formula and figure out, oh well, okay, well, since Brody beat this person but lost to this person, D one plus over D one plus D two equals like I'm not doing algebra yeah. two to figure out who's moving I where. Think- so I think what Statmando does, where they you can like compare players, I think that's really cool. Yeah, right? so you, you can, can do that in UDIS say, too. Oh, oh yeah, you can, can you? Mm-hmm. I can select this person. Yeah, based on their dominance oh, index, you can get the percentage chance of, of them beating them. Oh, but 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 Statmando is way better because it literally tells you like how many times they've played against each other, who's yeah. won more, uh, how many top tens I think is also on there. Um, so this is what I'll say that's confusing with the UDISC world ranking system is like obviously what you kind of just described some of the issues of like that's odd. Um, I think – do you know how far back this goes to? No, that's the other thing is you, you have how to – How much have weighted – how much is weighted on the front end too? Yeah, that's what I you, – you can't find that type of information because like – you have to have played a certain amount, but it's somewhere, I forget when it was, but at some point they're like, for instance, if Nate Doss was in there, he would be at this spot with a dominance rating of this. But like Nate Doss has been retired for years. So like, how does he have that dominance rating? You know what I'm saying? Like it, it, it's a very, that's what, that's the thing I don't like about the UDIS system is they probably created something incredible. Um, but it's not but tangible. It's hard to understand. Exactly. Whereas the PDGAs, 
it's not going to update frequently enough and they have like they have too much weight on the majors they split them up it, it, it is what it is but so, there's you can see like you you have tangible things of like if i do x y and z i'm gonna be at this place in the world like you you can see what you need to do to move up or down and as a fan yeah. who talks about disc golf i can more easily see how ricky's placement is going to affect his world ranking or so on or so forth versus you disc i mean Paul didn't show up and he moves up a spot. Like, is it is it like yeah. really smart to just not play tournament? Like, Paul didn't play because of the three courses. But if I'm someone who sucks at, if I sucked at yeah. Vegas, is it smart for me not to show up because it's good for my world ranking? Like, that's, that doesn't make any sense. So this is what, yeah. The, again, I don't really know too much on the the math side of things, but the way I would view it is, if you played, if you played bad at a tournament. You shouldn't fall. Uh, you shouldn't get like negative points. It's like oh, you play bad, you get negative points. So then people that don't show up to the tournament pass you, right? It should be like if you play bad at a tournament and other people around you in the rank ratings rankings play better than you, then they're probably going to jump you in the rankings. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, it's weird. Another scenario. Another. Yeah, it's 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 weird to think that like if you have a bad tournament, it's weird to think that like you have a bad tournament and someone that wasn't at the tournament passes you in the world rankings. That seems weird to me. Um, and and the other thing I would say too is like the stat Mando thing. I think is really cool of where it's like okay, it's literally p- pinning people up to each other. I don't know how important that really is in the world rankings. And again, I think it makes it makes it way more confusing as far as like, okay, if I finish fifth, for example, but these people beat me, that's different than if I finish fifth and then this one person beat like it's hard because again, like you said, it's not an easy equation where to me, like the disc golf pro tour standings, it might not be the best way of doing it, but at least it's very, very simple to see like, okay, I currently have, I'm in first place with the standings and I have 50 points more than second place. So then you can start doing a lot of these scenarios, right? Where it's like, all right, if this person, if if Ricky, let's say Ricky was in first place, you can do a scenario where it's like, all right, if Ricky gets top five, the only way he drops out of first place is if this person wins. Like yeah. you can do all those because you know the points. Yeah. This thing is so dependent on like who beats who, but then that person bought, beat this person, so then they're gonna jump. Like that's where it's like, like how, like how did Ricky? Ricky got what seventh place yeah. in the last event. Yeah, so his dominance went down. That's he lost people. I think were point, people were he confused. Lost, he lost six point eight two points. Yeah, when I said like, Dom- how can you? How can Paul become number? I understand physically how it happened. Like I, I, I know Ricky lost dominance index. My thing is, you shouldn't be able to not play. It, it's more so just for first place for number one world ranking because. If we're talking about 30th place and like someone becomes the going from 31st to 30th, or like that is what it is. But my thing is like, you, this shouldn't be something because like now what if Paul, this isn't going to happen, but what if Paul just parked the bus and just like, hey, I'm not playing tournaments this year. 
You can, his dominance rating will never move. The only way the only way Ricky could beat him is if Ricky just started winning everything. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. It's like that doesn't make sense because then like ha- Rick, Ricky would like, have to win. Yeah, but then but if Paul if someone just parks the bus at this and then like and they're number one world ranking and their do- so their dominance index isn't going to change, then like people are going to constantly like be jumping and changing. And Paul will be like world rank number one, and then as soon as Ricky loses, Paul's or as soon as Ricky wins, Paul's world rank number two, and now he's back to world rank number one. And it's like this guy's not playing right now. Like that doesn't that shouldn't directly correlate. Like you shouldn't be able to gain and become the number one ranked player in the world without showing up and playing. And that's where is I this- think the flaw is with UDISC that the PDGA system at least wouldn't have, but the PDGA system flaws is a numerous other ones. But number one right now is it's not frequently updated. This isn't per this isn't per round, is it? It's per event. This is like per event. It's right? where you finish. So essentially super dumbed down how I understand it. You know, is wait, it's let basically me tell you something that's really interesting, real yeah. quick. There are only I think if I saw this right, there are only like one one or two guys that dropped more spots than Ricky did. <laughs> But uh, yeah, and I don't even it's because he had a bad turn. No, but it's because Ricky... who beat him? Tristan Tanner, one of the biggest ones. Look at how far Tristan Tanner's dominance index went up. That's the thing; is it's all about who beat you at the tournament that affects the U disc ranking. That's all that matters. Yeah, so that's where. So this is where it's crazy to me. Is like that's like that's Ricky where finished it's wild. top ten at a, at a pro tour, but he got absolutely destroyed in the world so, ranking because of yeah, who beat so, him. So let me give you this scenario, okay? Yeah, Jared Stoll. Okay, Jared Stoll is the last guy on this world ranking list at 162. Okay. Okay. Jared Stoll plays is playing Waco. Yeah. Okay. He balls out of control and plays out of his mind and gets ninth place. Yeah. Five shots out of the lead. Uh-huh. Okay. Adam Hammies gets tenth place. Yeah. Six shots out of the lead. Adam Hammies then proceeds. And, and let's just say Drew, Kyle, Chris, Calvin, Eagle, Ricky, Paul, all people above Adam yeah. all beat Jared, right? They all, they all get in front of Jared, but they're only beating by a stroke or two or whatever. It's real close, right? Yeah. Adam Hammies is going to plummet. Yeah, he'd get wrecked. Now, I don't know how far he'd get wrecked, but you'd, he'd get destroyed. And he finished top 10 in a pro tour in, in your scenario you just painted, and he might drop 15, 20 spots. <laughs> Who knows what would happen? And and that's the thing is like he only drew drew for let's say in this scenario drew only beat Adam by two shots. Yeah, that's but a, that's where the issue drew, is with the with the current drew maintains world ranking. world ranking at seven, and Adam Hammies just flies down the rankings. <laughs> yeah, but that that's so that's the that's that issue is like I think the UDIS ranking is the best thing we have currently because yeah. it's what's updated frequently. And I, it's a better system than the actual rating system because the rating system is, it, it does. You can go win a C tier and your rating get tanked, even though you won the C tier. Like at least with the Elo rating, that's not going to change that because it's basically just if you show up and you beat everyone, your Elo rating, your dominance factor is only going to go up. It's not going to go down if you win. But your rating, you could win and have your rating go down. Like that could happen. And that's yeah. so that's where you can't use the rating on to tell who's the best player in the world. The ELO ranking is the best thing we well, have my, currently, my, but it's not my great. Boy, my boy is still alive as the sixth best player in the world. 
based off of PDJ rate rating. He's still in there at ten forty four. Who's that? This local guy in uh, Dallas, Texas, that played one flex start and <laughs> shot ten forty four. Exactly. Like that. I don't think. You, I, I don't. <laughs> the, six, if you if you take a step six back, best player in the world. <laughs> if you take a step back and just look at the ratings, you can you can understand why it's like the reason I think that I personally am so against the rating isn't because it's not a good analytic stat like within the round like but it even isn't to be honest with you because like you can just look it's only matters within that tournament and it doesn't super well correlate from tournament to tournament because it's all based on the field that's there and within the tournament if you want to see if it's a good round just look at what they shot compared to the rest of the field like that's that tells you the same thing Uh, it's just but it's at least like it's a fun number that you can like pull out and be like oh what's your rate whatever great for amateurs great for amateurs it's a fun number the issue is, for so long, it's been treated as so much more than just a fun number, and that's why I'm so against it. Is like if we just use it as a fun number and like, hey, holy cow, did you see that round was like 1108 that Paul shot at Memorial? Like that's just a fun stat. Issue is you can't share share that stat without it immediately being taken as a much bigger analytic than it is because, it, like, like I said, the field effects. Yeah, but the- stats, stats, you should be able to understand. True. Right? That's and also like, true. You can't understand. That, you can kind of understand the rankings, ratings, but not really. And it's almost kind of like uh, this is a good analogy. Is like you're like Paul shot eleven oh eight, right? If I told you, so you're like, dude, did you see Paul? He balled out of control. He shot eleven oh eight. What if I told you, like, uh, who's Duke's best basketball player? Well, right now we all suck. Uh, ben Caro. No. Okay, Ben Caro. If I was like, dude, did you see Ben's last game? He scored his first name's Pablo. His last name's Bancaro, but it's fine. Oh, his first. <laughs> okay. If I was like, dude, did you see Pablo's last game? He bought out of control. He scored seventy points, and you're like, what? He's insane. But I didn't tell you that there were six overtimes. Yeah. Like that's where the, you're missing this. You're the missing statistic context. Needs more, more context. So in the eleven oh eight, for example. If the context was, yeah, but there also were a bunch of like low-rated guys that just throw a bunch of discs in the water and they basically jack up the ratings at Memorial. If that context was then thrown in, then you could be like, oh, okay, I can understand. But like, when there isn't like this, when the statistics, the statistics on that course are different than this course and different than that and different like that's where it gets difficult if you don't have context so exactly um, that's why my thing my whole issue with ratings is that for so long and i think that it's kind of died off uh a lot of it was thanks to the udisc world rankings was it was what was used to determine like the number one player in the world and like that's what was posted like ricky jumps the number one rated player in the world or paul jumps the number one rated player in the world but like the context is like Oh, like this literally happened at one point. Oh, Paul dropped out a number one rated player in the world because he played a, a weekly league at Huntington Beach. Like, why on yeah. earth is that? That shouldn't affect anything. Because, like, he, he won that he, the week he showed up, but, like, the rate, ratings there are awful because it's just a weekly league. If you haven't played in a weekly, play in a weekly league and try to tell me that the ratings are always the same. Like, you won't because they suck. Here, so here, here's an interesting question. Are we doing are we doing calls or anything today? Or I, we've got some like uh, some of those voice memos if if we if oh, we okay. need them, but we don't have to use okay. them. Okay. 
Maybe maybe we open up a little bit to uh, some of the comment section on on YouTube. Are That's we just on YouTube today? We're just, we just on, on YouTube, YouTube today. today. Yep. Yeah. There's okay. a there's a lot of stuff going down on the YouTube comments. Okay, so maybe we have Silas uh, throw in some stuff here in a second. But I see I someone get say, your... wrong, Hunter, wrong. Come at me, bro. So, Silas, figure out what on earth he thinks I'm wrong about and let me come at him. He um, was talking about your there... rating. Your, your uh, ratings don't matter thing. Here's a good, here's a good stat that should, that should silence everyone. I am currently 974 rated. I have been as high as 990 rated within the last, 989 rated within the last year and a half. You all watch me on YouTube regularly. If you truly think and you can look at me in the face and tell me I'm a 990 rated player, then you know maybe we can have a conversation that ratings aren't weird. But I'm not. Ratings are weird. Like there's no way I'm that high rated. I shouldn't be if they were true. That's okay. Enough. Here's here. Uh, here's a, here's an interesting question. Um, now take take aside because I think this will kind of eventually like happen organically or i guess happen just like naturally of where like we were just talking about how players will start you know not even playing every pro tour event because there'll be so many pro tour events that just with their schedule they'll start picking and choosing so i think naturally that will that will happen to everyone on tour right because the money will start getting higher to where you don't have guys that because we're we're still gonna have guys that are touring and playing every elite series event, every silver series event, that are going and trying to find on those bye weeks the the nearest A tier or B tier, right? There's still gonna be plenty of those people. I think eventually that gets phased out. Yeah. Of where the money they're making enough money on the pro tour that they're putting all their time and emphasis on that, and they're no longer playing. But just as a fun question, do you think it should be I don't know if illegal is the right word, but do you think it should be not allowed that if you are playing on the disc golf pro tour that you can't play in like a tiers no. and B tiers? No, that, that is making sense to me. Why would it, why would it not be allowed? Well, I guess the question is, why okay well i i guess i need to answer that for you to have i can't throw it back at you um (laughs) why why would it not be allowed so i would say the reason why you would not want professionals to play in um events that aren't on your tour would be and this is not this is not like anything along the along the lines like competition wise right of where it's like um you know, someone playing in the NFL can't go and play in the Canadian Football League, right? Because that's like a competition thing. It's like, hey, we're signing you to play in yeah. the NFL. Yeah. This is this is because I don't think that exists. I think this is more, and and I could be wrong here, but I think this is more to grow the game. So I think having now this is different, right? Paige Pierce going to an A tier event is going to have probably a better impact on more people maybe signing up or going out to that event. Yeah. Um, so I think that would have like a net positive impact, but let's just drop it down to like maybe the 15th best FPO player in the world. Okay. Right. Her going to an A tier event, she's probably going to win it. Mm-hmm. Right. And I don't think she's going to be bringing in, like I don't think there's a net positive there because I think what ends up happening is I think people, amateurs, 
And I, I would consider again, if you're not doing the pro, the pro world is the pro word is thrown around a lot in disc golf. But to me, everyone's an amateur unless they're playing disc golf for a living. Like unless you're doing it as your job, you're you're an amateur, right? You're yeah. not. You're it's not your profession. Yeah. So even though you play, you are playing an open and you are getting money. Um, if you're not doing it as a profession, you're an, you're, you're not in the same, uh, you're not in the same tier. Right. Yeah. So there's different levels to being a pro. So the question is like, are you signing up for that tournament? If you see people that you're just like, well, this person's just way better than me. Like, is that killing the local scene? No. Or do you think having, you know, having someone that bounces in and plays local events and wins everything, do you think that helps grow the local scene more than it hurts it? I I think it's probably at worst neutral. At worst. I think there's more okay. positives than negatives. I think that like there's going to come a point where Pro Tour players can't play Silver Series because I think that Silver Series are going to eventually develop into how you qualify to be on the Pro Tour. So that would well, make that's sense. the case. Then why why would they not say that they can't? Because like because that's directly taking this, away potential spots have, they, and points for someone trying to qualify for the tour card. True, fair point, fair point. But why why is this why? I guess the question is then why is this a rule in other sports? Well, name another. So uh, you got to look at it in a little bit of a different perspective, right? A tiers, B tiers, C tiers, as the Pro Tour and Silver Series develop, are essentially going to be like more or less if you're going to have to directly correlate it to other sports like your oh your random golf weekly or your random golf tournament that the fire department puts on at the course like if, mm-hmm. if john rom was in town and wanted to roll up to that thing why wouldn't he could he could right there's nothing stopping him from like the fire department fundraiser event that's going on at poplar forest <sighs> he he would know. he would legally not be able to play golf that day it's I not, don't know. Let me text him. Let well, me text him and see. Why wouldn't he? Unless it's a contract of like, who's, I'm gonna, who's his club sponsor? Let me, let me, hold on. Let me text him and let me just make sure my text is correct. So when we get the answer back, it's right. So I'm saying, are you, are you allowed, are you allowed to play random local golf events for money? question mark is that a fair question i mean you might want to put context that like you're not asking him to play in one because that might affect the answer oh okay because <laughs> like if this, i'm getting that text i might be like i might be like heck no i'm not allowed <laughs> this is just a question i have on what the pg a tour allows for their players yeah um, cause we know, right. We know that in other, cause, cause I think you have to, you have to relate it to, um, I mean, the problem is I don't, I'm not well versed well, on like, like use, other need. You can use I'm basketball, not well-versed, right? I'm not well versed on, no, you can't use basketball. That's what I'm saying. We have to use, uh, niche sports that are individual and are tournament based. I'm not well versed enough. Like skateboarding, surfing. We have to use those of like what if you're tennis? on the professional tennis. Yes, Silas. Like could, could Nadal what, not show ruling? up to the Boonesboro Country Club tennis tournament? Like they're not 
My thing is like it makes sense. Like NFL, you can't go play in the XFL. Rob literally just said no idea. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's so probably because like why on earth would you? The problem is it's, exactly there. That's what I'm saying. They're making so much money that why in the world would they ever put themselves in a position to play and potentially lose to some local pro at yeah. some some event? Absolutely. Right. Like that's. Yeah, they're putting themselves in a very, very bad position. There. But I would be shocked um, if there's a rule because, like, how could you regulate that? How could you like? It makes sense for the right. PGA Tour I'm, to I'm say. I'm asking another. I'm, I'm asking another guy. Okay. I'm asking someone that might that actually. Because <laughs> like know it, it makes it makes sense. Yeah, like, that, for the that, PGA that Tour was, to say you can't play like a different tour event, like a, a one of the mini yes. tours or something like that. That makes sense. But I'm saying like the A, B, C tiers, you got to correlate to like YMCA ball. Or like Silas, the big let me, three. Let me know what Silas. Let me know what the chat is saying because uh, right. th- th- it's more. It's oh, more. Here about you go. Them. Here you go. I got an answer. I got an answer. He's de- this Hold is from on. Judah Aderhold. Ju- Judah Aderhold. He said he's definitely allowed. I believe Joel Dahman has a, has a tour card. Is playing the Scottsdale yeah. Open, just a local pro event. Boom. Mm. Okay. Boom. So I think that like I think what you're saying is true when it comes to like Silver Series where you might be taking something yes. directly away from that someone trying sense. to qualify. But my whole thing was like, I was just a great looking example. out for, I was just looking out for like players in the event and maybe I'm completely wrong. I think you're wrong. Maybe a great example is having the, a pro in, in the field gets you jacked up and yeah. you're like, yeah, I thought maybe the other way of where you see someone comes into the field and now you're like, well, now I'm playing for second place. I could be completely wrong. Here's, well, I know, my I know experience, people in different divisions feel that way. Like when you have a sandbagger, for example. Well, a sandbagger is a little bit like, different. Uh, actually, a lot of bit different. Because like you're talking a touring pro, so someone you don't really get to see. They're not at every weekend, week out event. And so, for instance, for our local area, this was Chris Dickerson and Zach Melton. And when they would sign, sign up for like, Mountain Mayhem, the pro field would grow by like three times. A lot mm. of them were AMs moving up, but the reason was you wanted the chance to play with them round one. And then for me, I was lucky enough, I got absolutely destroyed, but I was fighting with the other local pro, his name's KP, mm-hmm. for third place at that tournament. And so I was on a card where Zach and Chris are battling for one and two, and then, you know, probably 10 strokes back, you have me and KP battling for three and four. But it was a very fun experience for me because there were people who came to watch Zach and Chris. I also got to see Zach and Chris in tournament mode. And it was just a great learning experience for me playing alongside them. And so okay. it was something. And another I'm great siding, example. I'm citing to, to you now. Yeah. I'm saying my, my initial thought on this was wrong. Yeah. Well, because also the Battle for Bedford is a great example. Like the pro field's a lot easier to fill if you, you Paul, and like one or two other bigger name pros are in there than if no big name pros are in there. Yeah, because I, people I, want people I, want the chance to play with you guys. That's I stand, the thing. I stand corrected. I'm wrong, but I but when it comes say, to okay. Silver Series, you're right, 100. percent Well, that's that, or the, that was or, or future so future initial, Silver Series. Yeah, my initial point was wrong. Um, so here here's a question though: Do you think? And then Silas, you can start pin, uh, grabbing some questions from the chat. Do you think there should be a rule in place? that says something along the lines of like if you win in like MA4 you have to move up to MA3 if you win in MA3 and the only reason I'm saying this is this is what my buddy's his philosophy is for his own personal self is like he is never leaving MA4 
until he wins. And as soon as he wins, then he's going to move up to MA3. That's, that's he's how I staying in MA. He's staying in MA4. Do you think, though, there should be a rule of like maybe not MA2 to MA1, but at least MA4 and MA3? Do you think there should be a rule of like if you win, you have to move up? Or what are your thoughts? That's tough. Um, I mean, the because mm, so that's the exact thing I did is I started at MA two, and once I won, I just moved up to MA one, and I parked myself in MA one because once you're at MA one, like people will call you a sandbagger here and there, but you literally you, you can't sandbag in MA one like that. You're the top no, AM division. You tough. can't you can't sandbag. You can you can that literally rule... be a thousand rated player and be an MA one. It's fine, but um, that rule though. That rule, I uh, I'm now seeing flaws in it because what if you go and like he plays one tournament every year, right? It's yeah. the Halloween Classic. Um, it's 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 the big tournament in Vegas yeah. for like definitely for amateurs outside the Las Vegas Challenge, and everyone goes to this tournament. Yeah. So like if he beats everyone, he basically has beaten everyone in that field. The problem with the rule that I'm now thinking about is say you're someone that plays 10 events a year and the field is drastically different from an event to event. So you might go play one event at MA4 and you only beat three people. Yeah. And those three people weren't really people that you were ever competing against in MA4. Mm -hmm. So then it's like you could go to the next week MA4 and there could be 10 people in the field and three of them you're competing with. Like, so like, I don't know. I I, I now think, well, I think that you the, can't. I can't think. I don't think you can do that. No, but they, there's got to be also, the way they're doing it now isn't awful. It's just that the rating system's flawed, and so it makes it tough. It also like they can adjust how high or low the ratings are. But the the bigger the biggest points like what you were just saying is you have really big amateur tournaments like Bowling Green AMS used to be massive. You have USA DGC Ledgestone's massive for AMS. Those divisions like. MA2 at some of those are way harder to win than MA1 at your local course. And so if you're if you're playing like just local C tiers, you might be able to roll up and destroy MA3. And now you moved up to MA2 and you destroy MA2. And now you're chilling in MA1 when you realistically, when you roll up to Ledgestone, you might belong in MA3. You could have been competitive in MA3, but if that rule's yeah. in place, now you're showing up to Ledgestone and you're playing with people who are 980 rated trying to win Ledgestone because they have Am World's dreams or US Am's dreams. And you're sitting yeah. there like, well, this sucks because like, I, I literally, there's no way I can compete with these players, but because I won some back home, I can't play down. Okay, here's, here's two thoughts, okay? One, because I just had another one of my buddies that plays on the Pro Tour text me back. Uh, shout out to Austin Cook. Um, I, I've learned that people that are making millions of dollars Literally, this does not. They have no idea. Well, yeah. This why on earth? Why would they show up to win? This is <laughs> fifty, a hundred, two hundred bucks at a local. <laughs> this local other guy literally thing. said. This this other guy literally said the same thing as Rom of like I have I honestly have no idea. Um, <laughs> it's just something that probably never ever comes up. The P, no, I'd be like, surprised if the PGA Tour has even thought of it because they're probably like I mean why why would we care what these guys do? On yeah, I I Google searched it and literally nothing came up. It's probably like, never going to do that. Like, why would Tiger Woods <laughs> roll up to play 
uh, Mama Joe's sweet chili cookout classic. Like that's never happening. Well, you know, that's how crazy will be if we're 50 years from now saying the same thing of like, why would that person ever show up and play an A tier? So that, that would be kind of cool to see the growth there. Yeah. The other thing I was going to say is I think this is how you combat sandbaggers. And let me know if you think I'm right or wrong on this. Let's hear it. Right now, you do have some sandbaggers yeah. that are those Halo players that get really high ranked in Halo or Call of Duty or whatever it is. You get really, really high ranked and your matches start getting really, really hard. So what do you do to like drop down your rank? You literally just find a corner and just chuck grenades and and self suicide yourself. Yeah, or you so just that get some, you just constantly spawn into a game and tape your uh, spinning controller down while you do homework. So exactly. you're moving, but you're not so doing nothing. There are I've never I done think that, some but, you know. people. I think <laughs> I think there are some players that do that a little bit to an extreme of where if they're having a bad round, let's have a really bad round. Yeah, let's just make right? it a little worse. So that way. That way we drop because the rating does. That's you. Once your rating gets above something, then you you have to go Move up. up, right? Yes, yes. So the way that you eliminate that is what we're doing right now is we're we're the rating is is too much of an average, right? It's too much of a um, it's too much of a in the middle of what you shoot versus what you shoot when you play well. Yeah. Because I think for, especially for amateurs divisions to be, um, to be competitive, you don't want someone in MA three that could win MA one if they played well, but their rating puts them in MA three because they've, they can go out there and, and get last place in MA three sometimes, right? They're so volatile that their average puts them in MA3, but when they're at their best, they can beat MA1 people. Yeah. So I think if you literally just do something where it's like, hey, you know what? For our ratings, we're only going to count your top 40% scores. Yeah. That's it. So if you have if you have 10 rated rounds and 60%, you know, the top or sorry, the top 40% are all thousand rated plus. But you have some 910s, some 920s, a couple 950s that would actually probably put your rating at like 955, let's say. Yeah. Like you no longer are playing in a division where it's like you see sometimes where you're like, oh my God, MA, this MA2 guy just freaking would have would have won MA1, right? Or or sometimes the really drastic ones, you see sometimes people in amateurs like competing against open, like their scores, right? And like th- those are like the crazy events where you're like, what the heck is going on? So does that fix the problem of where it's like, you know what, we're just going to eliminate your low scores so that way you don't have these sandbaggers? Because that is an issue right now. No, yeah. There are I, I see it all the time on social media, people complaining about it. And I would too. Like if I was playing in MA3 and I know this guy is playing in MA3 and I'm like, okay, this guy's just going to win. Like – he shouldn't be playing in MA3. That would get really, really annoying. So I think, does that does that eliminate it? I think it at least helps eliminate it. Because you're right. I mean, there's a lot of... I mean, there's there's a reason that AMs are AMs. I'm proudly... I should be an AM. There's no way... I sh- I'm literally paying 75 bucks to have pro next to my name. That's the only reason I'm a pro. Uh, the AMs... Like, I could go out... Proud of you, man. And I, I could go out, and at the best, I could shoot... 
and compete with like 990 rated players. But as everyone's seen, at my worst, I can shoot 900 rated golf and I have this wide range. So like your range is very wide. If I was playing tournaments every single weekend, I'd probably be like a 950 some rated player. So if I was like slightly worse version of myself, I could very easily be able to play rec. But then like you're saying, I could go out and pop off and shoot. And I've seen this happen in rec tournaments I've ran shoot like 970, 980 rated golf where you're like, holy cow, that guy in rec might have almost won advance this weekend. But mm-hmm. it's because the last mm-hmm. weekend he shot 810 rated golf. And that's just like, because there's always something. For me, it's my putting. If my putting's on, I'm playing great. My, that makes me throw better, makes me do everything. But if my putting's off, especially some people are like spin putters to where like, if their putting's off, they're throwing a 30-foot putt and they're having a 60-foot comeback. Yes. And like, if your putting's off, that person might shoot 800 rated. But if their putting's on, they might be a 1,000 rated player. And I think what you're saying, I think it, it it can't hurt it. And honestly, it can't hurt the system in general because like then it also takes the stress off of like if you go out and just absolutely tank around because I've had this happen yeah, before it's, where it's, it is, it I is have like, it is. I have a little bad. bit of an injury, but I'm in a tournament where I drove two hours to play this tournament. And so I, I, I have a little bit of an injury or something like that where I don't want to drop out of the tournament. But now in the back of my head, I'm like, it hurts when I putt, so I, I suck at putting right now. I have no confidence, so I end up shooting like 9, 10, 8, 50 rated golf, whatever it may be in the scenario, but like now I'm penalized for not giving up, for not quitting versus if I would have just went to the TD and been like, hey, man, wrist really is hurting me. I'm, I'm not going to be able to play the second round. Then I'm rewarded for that versus playing it versus in your scenario, go have fun, play the tournament. It doesn't matter what you shot. If you do awful, it's not really going to hurt you because it's show your rating's going to be what your potential play is, which is kind of how you should be based on uh, like your potential play because you don't want MA3 players it shooting sh- good be, to win open. Yeah. It, to me, it makes a lot more sense for the rating to be more about if I play good, this is what I should be shooting. So that way you have everyone that goes in and it basically makes it the ceiling, right? Like it makes it to where, um, like me, you and me, you Trevor and Silas, we all go out and play. The only way if we're playing like new London, for example, yeah, the only way you're going into that course thinking that you can beat me is if you play really good and I play terrible. Yes. Right. Versus you put you put yourself in a position where you're like all right all of us are all of us have the potential of shooting the same score out here it's whoever can get to the best potential yeah right versus like so you don't have a scenario where someone's like i played really really out of my mind and someone else is like i played okay and the person that played okay beat you yeah yeah so um no i like yeah. that idea all right well, that's that's one thought. All right, Sias, you want to pull some questions maybe from chat? We'll do that Got for any? a little bit, and then I then I got to pick up my buddy from the uh, from the bus station. All right, anybody got any questions? Drop them in the YouTube comments below. Oh, right, do you have any voice calls, Hunter? Uh, queued up? Yeah, I can queue one up. You want me to queue one up, Silas? Yeah, uh, yeah, queue one up. Why? Yeah, queue one up with um, Silas. Okay, I don't remember what this one was, but I started. So we'll start it here. It's from Michael Miller. It's loading. Still loading. I would ask if our Wi-Fi went out, but then we wouldn't be able to stream right now. So, Dark Horse. Let me go to data and see if that helps me. I'm going to refresh the page. Well, while you're doing that, let me, do, uh, let me shout out our sponsor, 
Atlas, not really our sponsor, but um, yeah, I want to quickly talk about that. Maybe that's something that some people might have some more questions. I saw on social media, people had questions. Um, I'm very, very excited to be uh, working with Atlas. The vision that they have currently is something that I extremely align with and being able to bring very high quality products at a affordable price, I think is huge. And I'm very excited about the bag dropping, I believe Thursday, Thursday, 5 p.m. Eastern, Thursday, 5 p.m. Eastern, the bags dropping. Um, we didn't really explain it too well about like the badges and patches. Cause I saw a yeah. lot of people talk. I think we got a post coming, uh, a little bit. I don't know. You, his, did his mic go out, Silas? Did I, did I just mute myself? You, can you did. Hear me now? You can, you're back. Okay. Um, the gold patches are only going to be available for the people that get the dark horse bag. Yes. Um, and the gray patches will be, I think they'll be for sale uh, available for individual sale. Um, and th the other thing too, I wanted to explain quickly is this is the, the dark horse bag is like the, the name of the color of the bag. We are working on a signature dark horse bag mm -hmm. um, that will be coming in the future. Yeah, so, this is simply a colorway. Yes. The, basically, this is the blacked out Pioneer, uh, but the dark horse Pioneer, the, you know, gets the, the gold exclusive patch, all of that good stuff. This is also the first drop of the V2 with the Pioneer, um, which means the phone pocket on the side. That was one of the complaints we had. We made it a little bit deeper and a little bit wider so it fits bigger phones and also your phone's a mm -hmm. lot more secure in there. Also, same goes for like chalk pouches, minis, all of that, a lot more secure. And also the water bottle holder now fits, uh, I believe it's up to 48 ounces, but very, very comfortably fits 32 ounce bottles now. So that's a little bit wider um, than I think our original bag fit up to 32, but 24 was the comfortable number. Uh, the elastics on it bigger. So it's a few minor changes um, just from customer feedback that was made to the bag. But the, the dark horse is the colorway. So the dark horse bag isn't going to be different from the normal Pioneer. It's just the colorway is that, that blacked out version that Brody's been carrying. It also will hold enough discs for everyone that's listening. Um, I carry a decent amount of discs. I think I want to say I carry close to like 20... Three, 20, definitely over 25 discs in my bag right now. Um, it might even be 27, which is for, which is way too many for, for most people. Um, but when you're playing these long courses, there, there's, you know, three or four discs that I have in my bag that are specific for certain situations. Yeah. Um, do you need to do that when you're playing casual rounds? Absolutely not. I normally take those discs out when I'm playing casual rounds. Um, but for tournament play, it's pretty important for that. So the pro the pro bag, I think, will also – like the bag that we're going to be designing that will be the signature bag uh, down the road um, will also be able to hold a lot of discs. This holds plenty of discs. And then uh, I don't – do we have any like reviews, like personal – like uh, what are they called when um, – Testimonials. Not Testimonials. We do. I'll give you, we I'll, do have some. You, you have I don't some, have I'll them on hand. But I'll give you a personal testimonial though from my caddy in Vegas. After the first day that he carried the bag, 
he literally told me how surprised he was at how light of a bag it is. And I think that is probably the one thing that will be the quickest thing for you to realize with the bag is your back and legs will feel so much better the next day after carrying the bag uh, than some of the other bags that are out there. So that comes out on Thursday. Super excited about it. We've got a lot of stuff going on in the future with Atlas, so uh, stay tuned to that. All right. Do we got questions here? Yeah, I think there should be some rolling in. What do you got, Silas? Yeah, yeah. So uh, first one comes from Chris Evans, and he says, how far are we from swing coaches and caddies, and will they be actually useful for the top pros? So, Brody, you can probably you probably have a good idea, yeah. and oh, you can answer Oh, okay, them. Silas. Yeah, sure. I have no input. Well, kidding. you're not no. nine. I was about. Not, <laughs> I was literally about to say. Rated. I was literally about to Your say. Brody. That's true. My opinion. Yeah. I'm too low rated for my opinion to matter. I was literally about to say Brody would have a better answer on this one. I thought it was funny that Silas called me out. <laughs> hey man, you're um, not on tour yet. All right, caddy. <laughs> you don't need to put a yet. Caddy's one hundred. Caddy's one hundred percent, and I think you're going to see that the number of caddies on tour increase higher and higher. Um, I do know this for a fact. On the PGA Tour, you are required to have a caddy. Mm. Um, That's interesting. I didn't and, know that. Why, what's yep. the reason behind they require them? That, I don't know. I would have. To, I would just be talking out my butt if I gave you an answer. I can guess and just say the look of it, mm. of just having someone else carry your bag. Yeah. Um, looks more professional than carrying your own bag, which is like what you would do at the amateur level or on some of these lower tours, you carry your own bag. But I've definitely have heard uh, stories of guys being in situations where they didn't have a caddy and essentially uh, the club that you're playing at. So it's, it's very similar to what it is in disc golf actually of where, you know, if I wanted a caddy for Waco, I would like, instead of, going to the club that doesn't exist at Waco, I would go to like the Facebook group and yeah. be like, Hey, does anyone want a caddy for me? Where the club that actually has caddies are ready for like their members that play there. Yeah. So you would just pick up them. A cool story is, uh, the PGA championship. One of the guys that was like in the top, I want to say he was at in the top 10, maybe top five at some point. He was like an amateur playing in the event. He wasn't a touring pro. And so he picked up a local caddy. That local caddy was the same caddy that I got when we played the course. Because we used to play the course. Uh, that was like a thing that we did on YouTube. We would go and play the very, very last day before the cor cor course closed down. Yeah. And that was to help like promote the tournament and stuff. So they gave me this caddy because he was like the go-to caddy. Right. Mm -hmm. And we did a whole video with him. Fascinating guy. And all of a sudden, like I'm watching the PGA championship and I'm like, oh, my God, I can't remember his name, but I'm like, oh, my God, that's so and so. I'm like, that was my caddy. And now <laughs> all of a sudden he's cat. He's catting for this guy that's in the top 10 of the PGA championship. Yeah. So um, caddies, 100 percent. There's literally if there's a pro out there that says it's neg there's a negative to having a caddy. I would say that they're either lying to you or they have no idea what they're talking about. There's literally no negative to it. Literally. The only, the only thing that could be negative is if you literally ca get a caddy of someone that you hate. 
mm. and that you don't like. So why don't and we walk? Why don't we walk through worlds when I got kicked off the bag? Why don't we just like re- relive that moment if there's no negatives to being a caddy? You got kicked off the bag at worlds. I was on your bag two worlds ago. Or Ledgestone. I didn't, Ledgestone. I get them confused. I was going to say, I didn't play Worlds no, two years No, no. I get Ledgestone, I get confused with Worlds that year because they were in the same place. No, I think I kicked you off the bag at Idlewild. No, it was Northwoods Black. Was it? Yeah, it was the uh, it was the little, like, uh, the forehand hole that goes is, over the it, valley and back up. Here, this is, this is what I'll say. I will say that if that was this year, I wouldn't have kicked you off the bag. Hmm. I think it was because our relationship wasn't where our relationship is now. We have a much better. I don't even think I said better. anything. I literally think I was just. <laughs> I was literally just carrying his bag, just like I was just walking down carrying his bag, and we no, get we get I'm to the saying. hole, and he just like, that's, yeah, that's this is throwing point. me off. No, I think it was. I, I, I think it was more you weren't used to a caddy yet. If I had to guess. No, 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 no. no. I think that, no, no, no. If, if I went back in the day, I would 100% tell you that was an excuse. 100%. That was 100%. <laughs> of, well, that oh, excuse I'm, made I'm, me feel better. So now I'm, I got I'm, nothing. Oh, I'm playing bad because you're catting for me. No, 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 no. That was a 100% excuse. Uh, I think no, I knew that we, was the excuse. I thought you were saying you were yeah. just making an excuse up to kick me off the bag. Like you just wanted me out of there. no. No, 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 no. I didn't Dude, want you. He, no, 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 he no, no, hates no. your guts. Yeah, I know. Honestly, jeez. No, it was one of those. Uh, you know, I, 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 again, you're talking about someone. That tournament was. That was the first year I was on tour. Wasn't yeah. Wasn't it? Yes. This is your yeah, first time playing like Northwoods my, Black. Yeah, that was my third tournament or fourth tournament. I was like way. I mean, I was way out in front of my skis. I was. I had no idea what I was doing. So in that scenario, when you're literally, uh, you know gasping for breath because you're like slowly sinking under the water <laughs> you're willing to at that point literally try to do anything to no, be like yeah. let me let me let me walk under this ladder let me throw this rock into this mirror let me open this umbrella inside you're literally trying to do anything and and again i think that shows you the difference between someone that is a mature player on tour and someone that's an immature player on tour is and again i've gone through all this so i've seen it a mature player is going to be someone that doesn't make excuses and doesn't say like, oh, well, I'm not playing well today because this, this, and this, and this. Yeah. Right? They're not They're not going to say like, again, why did? what was another reason that I gave for why I played so bad? Because I lost that disc. You yeah, remember? That, that was another. Because that was the first thing I did. As soon as you kicked me off the bag, I went and looked for that thrasher <laughs> for like 40 minutes. And I was looking yeah, at your score, yeah. and I was like, Oh, he bogeyed another hole. Yeah, I can look a few more minutes. I, there's nothing to get back to right now. <laughs> yeah, you're willing to make yourself have excuses. Um, and and again, like think about it this way. You you started playing golf, right? Yes. How many times have you gone to the range and like in your head say, you know what, I'm going to try this during this swing. And you try it and you hit a better shot. Do you now think all of a sudden you figured out your swing? Have you done that before? I have – yeah, I mean, I, I've never thought like I 100% figured it out, but I have like, I've literally texted you guys, been like, dude, no. I just figured this thing out that I think like this is part of what was messing me up. And then three swings yeah, later, you're like, it's gone. Oh. I had yeah, no like idea you where it went. Something, you're like, you know what? I'm going to open my left foot a little bit. Or yeah. you know what? I'm going to, I take my club back. I'm going to like do this. Or I'm going to take gonna it more rotate. back behind me instead of up. Yeah. Try to get, get my swing shallow. Stuff. Yeah. Doesn't and, work. And again, when you're at that beginning stages, you are literally willing to grab anything and hold on to anything that works. Yeah. 
and you're a psychopath because that <laughs> is not the reason why you hit a good ball. Yeah. So that's just, I think that's where I was of where, um, you know, heck, I was throwing glow nuke SSs as my go-to distance yeah. driver, I mean, right? That you, can't, was something. you can't be successful. They on did go a long way. Okay, so caddies, do, caddies definitely make sense on the Pro Tour, but swing coach, I got to hear your thoughts swing, on swing coaches. Okay, swing coaches, I think, are 100% useful and will be will probably make a whole lot of money that are people that are... Because I, one of the things that I think gives me a huge advantage over a lot of other people is I can quickly hear something from someone and adjust it and figure it out quickly. Mm -hmm. So like right now, I'm fixing my forehand, right? Because my forehand got a little bit better and was decent, but now I'm at that plateau and it's like, okay, well, how do I get to the next level? And now to get to the next level, I have to do something differently. Yeah. So I've been watching, you know, other people's forehands. Um, I was throwing today with Tristan Tanner, who has arguably one of the longest forehands on tour. And so now I'm trying to figure out how to gain power on my forehand, like and what the next thing I can do. So I'm able to look at what other people are doing and then also have people say like, hey, if you do this, I think that will help you. And I'm able to like quickly kind of do it. And then now it's just reps to get it to be muscle memory. I think that style of teaching though, of where it's like, Hey, this works for me. You do it is probably not the best style of teaching because especially in disc golf, you look at, do I still have the world? I don't have the world rankings up, but I have, I have this list. You look at Ricky, Paul, Calvin, Dickerson, Adam, Jones, Burr, Conrad, you throw those guys all in, right? Those yeah. are all top 20 guys. And you watch them all throw a backhand. There are, to the naked eye, there are some things that they all do. And they all do really, really well. Yeah. And then there's some things that they do completely different mm -hmm. from one another. And I think to be a good teacher – you have to figure out those things that actually matter and the things that are, you know what, this works for Ricky because of this. And this works for Chris because of this. And this works for James because of this. And so I think down the road, swing coaches on the pro level, it's probably going to take a little bit longer to get there. But swing coaches for like amateurs, I think it's not going to be that long, especially because you're going to have a lot of these guys that are going to be retiring in 10, 15 years yeah. looking for something to still do. And again, being really, really good at disc golf and being able to coach disc golf are two different things. But to say that it would not be helpful for someone to go to a good swing coach is wild. So, but how does it... How does it get implemented on the pro tour? Because like PGA guys, PGA tour, from what I've seen, pretty much all of them have swing coaches. But like, how does that get started? Because you gotta, you gotta have like I would pay, I would pay good money for Drew Gibson to be my backhand swing coach. Okay, but but that's someone who like you would look at and say they have a better backhand than you. But like, it's also someone that I, it's also someone that I've worked with because when I when I was picking my swing coach for golf, yeah, I had two guys that were very very good, mm -hmm. both 
both coaching professional golfers yeah, and both very reputable knew what they were doing. I took a class from each one, mm-hmm. right? Before I picked, I took a class from each one and I wanted to see their teaching style. I wanted to see just our relationship. And after those two classes, I said, you know what? I, both of these could work, but this guy, I think I'm going to get better faster. Mm. So I've, I've, spent a lot of time with Drew and talked to him and and worked with him a lot. So like he's someone that, uh, I know that if I go in a field with Drew, Ezra, Ezra is another person, for example, like those are two guys that I know that if I go in a field with them, I can ask them questions. And cause again, the relationship right now, they're not going to really come up to me and be like, Hey man, I, I watched you in this video and you're doing this wrong. They're not doing that. Yeah. So a lot of it's like me saying like, Hey, this is something that I think I'm struggling with. Can you watch and tell me what you think? Right. And then they can kind of help me fix it and we can work there. So the drew, the answer of why, like I would pick him is not because he has a better backhand than me. It's because he knows the fundamentals to being able to throw a good backhand and does a good job of being able to him and Ezra same being able to express that to me. Mm. That's why. So do you that's think why I would pick him? You think it'd be someone who like starts as an amateur swing coach becomes very reputable there. And then like one or two, one of the two of their people that like, they've been working with for years, go pro. And then they, their name spreads on the pro tour that way. I'm just trying to think of like a scenario that definitely would help that would definitely like, help build their name. Well, that's what I'm thinking. I'm just trying to think of a scenario of Ricky, for instance, you know, or Paul or Eagle, like the top guys in the world, just randomly hiring a swing coach. Like that's such a drastic step for the, in the sport that like, cause I, I agree when I picture the sport 10 years from now, that's a standard thing. It's like, everyone's got someone they're working with, but like, that initial yeah. leap is crazy. Like, I don't, I don't know where, how that, like, it has to be a gradual thing. I'm just trying to figure out, like, how that steps happen. What if that well, person was a part I, of the, like, team? So, like, this oh, like, team Discraft Discraft has a swing coach you could hired use. Hired a swing coach no, that's no, available. No, 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 no he hates no, it, no. Silas. He hates, he hates it. it. What? No, no, I don't like that. He hates it. That's all you Silas, get. do you know what? Why do you hate it? Do you know what our. Do you know do you know what our like our tennis how our tennis team and golf teams worked in high school? What do you what, what do you mean? Like, like do you like how how our practices worked for tennis and golf in high school? Well, I assume, you know, you just play against each other and you learn from the one coach, right? No. Like I don't Our coach our coaches for both tennis and for golf were basically people that were just there to, and this might be different, you know, this might be different for other high schools, but they were basically there just to sign up for, get us to the tournaments and, and be a chaperone and basically like that. Like, so they weren't our like golf coaching. Tennis, no, we left. We would go and go to our individual coaches that we've been with for, like, I, not me, because I, I kind of, gave up tennis and golf in like the middle part of my childhood. And then I got back to it later, but there's guys that were like on our tennis team that had their own coaches that has been having coaching them for like eight years. So Uh, like when we would go and practice, 
they went to their coach, same in golf. Like you go and you practice, you go to your coach, um, that you've been working with. Uh, like think, think of like gymnastics too, right? Like gymnastics for like, uh, let's say like the Olympics, right? Yeah. They all are bringing their own, like, even though they're on team USA and they're all working together, they're bringing their own individual coaches with them. There isn't a coach. It's not like basketball where she's, she's, oh my gosh, I can't say his name. Shashevsky. Just go coach K coach, coach K. Coach K. It's not like basketball where like Coach K comes over and is the head coach uh, for the team because you, when you have like a team like that where like people are actually working together, then yes, you do need someone to like draw up the X's and O's and let people know what they're doing. But when you have a team that is quote unquote a team with individuals, right? Yeah. That's where people are going to have their own person. So like, gotcha. Discraft is never going to have a swing coach for the or um, i wouldn't say never but it would be crazy me to me to think that you sign if you're with discraft let's say let's let's do this katrina allen with prodigy right and she has her own coach and then all of a sudden she signs with dga and now she has to not be able to have that coach and now she has this other coach hmm yeah like she's, point. you're gonna tell me Katrina Allen's gonna leave the person that she's won two world championships with for seven years, and all of a sudden go to this next person. So like that's where I think, I think it's very individualized too because what works for Paul, what works for Chris, what works for Adam, all guys on Discraft might not work for me. Right. So having like one coach for everyone, uh, I think you got to really find. I think you got to really find someone that 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 suits you and works for you. But what I will say is what will could happen and I saw I just actually just saw this in the chat. Saw someone talking about Yuli. Um what I could see is like Yuli is a coach, mm-hmm. right? And I sign him, Adam signs him, Kevin Jones signs him, Scott Withers signs him. So like when we all go to a tournament, Yuli goes there and he's working with each one of us, right? Like on his schedule, he's like, all right, Brody, I'm on the range with you from 10 to 11. Adam, I'll be with you from one to two. So that way all four of us or five of us are paying for him and it kind of helps the cost. Same thing like with massage therapy, uh, therapists, you know, only the top, top guys can afford to fly their massage therapists around to each event, right? Yeah. So what you end up doing if you're not one of the top guys is you end up finding five, six, seven other dudes that are like, yeah, I would love to get massages after my rounds. Mm-hmm. So then we all say, okay, well, for this massage therapist to go on tour with us, we have to pay them $100,000. So we'll each just pay them twenty k, And now all of a sudden you have that massage therapist there for every event. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Boom. That's a good point. All right. I think that's – I mean, I think time-wise that's a pretty good – pretty good segue to end it we didn't we have a lot of questions that we didn't get to in the chat and a lot of uh voice questions that we'll have to bring back next have them week. have them call in have yeah. them call in if, feel, you if you have the if you have a question you feel like would be good put it into the uh, just head over to fdnsports.com go to the debate night tab and there's a plot space that you can leave a voice memo if you haven't already uh we didn't get around to them tonight because my phone was acting up weird but i've got a solid five or six starred and then if you leave them i'll listen to them before next week's episode and star some more and uh, next week we'll talk through what went down at waco and um also we'll talk about uh what's coming up at it should be the open at belton the week after also the bogey bro battle will be happening that week so 
pretty exciting stuff going on in Texas uh, for these next I'm few filming weeks. With, I'm filming with Mason and, and Valerie on Thursday. Heck yeah. And that video will be up on, I think we're going to do like nine holes on my channel, nine holes on foundation or something. So awesome. Um, that'll, that'll be the team foundation now that we're talking about teams that'll be the team foundation uh getting together and playing a little bit on thursday so yeah, i am so going to head to greyhound now and pick up my buddy Perfect. who is going to be catting for me there and also running the brody tractor boom boom so i was go. i was gonna there ask go. about those so that nails both those down uh hopefully you enjoyed this episode if you want to check out uh some more content from us we actually have a lot of planning going on behind the scenes trevor is getting pretty excited for this month's patreon exclusive video so if you join the heiser club uh you can head to patreon.com foundation disc golf become a heiser club member and get access to all kinds of extra stuff we have the heiser club q a show heiser club mailbag happening uh, we'll record that tomorrow and then uh, this month's video i'm pretty sure trevor said he's doing a little disc golf jeopardy for connor and i and he's going pretty all oh, out heck yeah he's going all out he fi- he found buzzers for us to buzz in uh he's got the board getting all set up he's very excited heck for this yeah. so i don't think you want to miss it um like i said you can go over to patreon.com slash foundation disc golf and join the heiser club if you don't want to miss out on that and so much more super stoked we're going to be really kicking that into gear uh in april we're going to have a little more free time uh come april trevor and i will and that's going to be one of our main focuses so super stoked for that oh, is that w- is, is that when the boss is coming in and that's when yeah well it start march 21st is the transition begins and then april 1st we oh, kick yeah. it into high gear it's showtime so yeah me and hunter me and hunter are getting a boss so yeah we're, we're stoked time for to it. whip us we're gonna get whipped, to whip into, us into shape whipped into business shape if you will uh super yeah. stoked for all of it but thank you all so much for tuning in and brody best of luck at waco hope you shred Thank you. I'm going to Greyhound and then I'm Planet Fitness, baby. Going to get jacked. There you go.